This is Saturday, October 9th. Sandy and I lived in the New York metro area for 16 years. And having grown up in Florida and spent most of my life here, well, there's so much in the Northeast I wanted to do. When you're in the Northeast part of our country, you feel like, well, you're in the middle of all the action, the middle of the world. So much seems to happen there. Folks in the rest of the country, well, they can only see it on TV. What do I mean? Well, take, for example, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, or the New York City Marathon, or the dropping of the ball in Times Square each year that marks the beginning of a new year. One of the very cool events on New York City was the Ticker Tape Parade. Now, we don't use tick, ticker tape any longer, but the idea remains. For example, the New York Yankees would win the World Series, which, by the way, <laughs> I don't think it has a chance of happening this year. But when they did, the city would come together for an immense party. There would be a parade down Broadway, and they would fill the sky with tons of confetti. It was the way to celebrate and to trot out the victors and put an exclamation point on the achievement. Well, we're not the first to come up with an idea like that. The Romans had their own ticker tape parade. The technical word for it was the triumph. It would be held following a major military victory. And here's how it would unfold. An immense procession would travel through the city of Rome to the temple at the capital. And the whole city would show up to celebrate because the victory meant wealth and status for the whole empire. Now their parade route was about two and a half miles long and they would move slowly and so many people passed by that it could take more than an entire day for the parade. It was pretty amazing. First came the captive leaders, allies and soldiers, and sometimes their family. And they were usually walking in chains. Their captured weapons, their armor, the gold and silver, the statues, and curious or exotic treasures were carted behind them, along with paintings and models depicting significant places and episodes of the war. Then came the troops, the conquering troops, by rank and importance, and even members of the Senate, and often their families were with them too. The procession ended at the temple where sacrifices would be made, and then often the defeated leaders and kings were executed. Along the way, the people yelled, We triumphed! We won! Now with Jesus, if you remember him and his arrest, well, they didn't take him to Rome because he had no army, and it wasn't a military victory. Jesus was executed on the cross in a simple execution. But notice the language of our text for today, the language Paul uses. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that's Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
he disarmed the authorities and put them to, to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's Colossians 2, 13 to 15. Now, when Paul thinks about the crucifixion of Jesus, he thinks about it as a procession of triumph, like we heard about that the Romans practiced. Now, this must have been what the walk to the cross for Jesus seemed like. Jesus appeared to be the conquered king. He wore a crown of thorns and a sign over his head at the cross read, King of the Jews. It all seemed tied up. Death won. Evil triumphed and was celebrating at the cross of Jesus. But Paul says, surprise! Actually, the opposite happened. Evil thought by killing Jesus, his reign would be ended and his life snuffed out. The story would be over. Hell and death defeated and destroyed the Holy One, the Son of God himself. But that's not the story at all. In the death of Jesus, God defeated the power of sin to hold us, the power of the law to condemn us. In his resurrection, he made a joke of the earthly powers. They threw the worst they could at Jesus, and he rose from the dead. Paul calls it all a spectacle, saying that Jesus made a laughingstock of the power of this world that would seek to control us. He put these powers to open shame. This is how Jesus leads in triumph. The powers of hell and death, the powers that seek to control our world and keep us living in darkness, they're all defeated. In his death, he brings forgiveness and life. He sets us free from sin and death. Now, as we read this, that is a parade that Jesus has already made you a part of. You're among the victors with him. Then think about it. You're invited to join the celebration. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, you get to live in the light of this victory every day. You live free from the condemnation of the law, and sin can no longer control your life. You can live your life in fellowship with God in Christ. You're forgiven and free. These are such powerful words in this passage. As this idea of the triumph is now focused on Jesus, and it actually happened in his death, what appears to be his defeat is instead his victory. Jesus at the cross stood the story of our world on its head. It seems sort of like spiritual judo. I'm told the way that the way judo works is that the moves of your opponent are turned around and they're actually used against them. Your attack is translated into your defeat. And this is what happened to all the powers of death and the evil one. Jesus is the victor, and he shares the victory with us. Let's pray. Lord God and gracious Father, help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, and the finisher of our faith. Remind us that salvation is not ours to achieve, but ours to enjoy. Give us joy in knowing you have saved us to the fullest possible extent in Christ. And help us to be thankful, Lord, for all that Jesus has done. We pray in his name. Amen.